And we're live. I'm here with Pete Quinones. Pete, how you doing? What's going on, Caleb? How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Happy to have you on. Going to talk about the populist delusion by um, I was going to say AA. Uh, can't yeah. say his Nima no, Parvini. Nima Parvini. Yeah. Uh, great guy. I've, I've um, I just started watching him probably about two months ago, and I was just I was blown away. Yeah, he's amazing. Really, like, how to put this? I know a lot of people who are well read, and he takes the cake. <laughs> Of well-read people, it's just it is insane how many books that guy reads. Reads. Well, and also the fact that he can take that knowledge and package it and give it to us. It's yeah. pretty amazing. I was I was honored to be on a a cigar stream of his last year talking about Ted Kaczynski. That was that was a lot of fun. Nice. I heard I heard that it was it was really fun. First, that's like, I think that's the first time I heard him, but I wasn't like in the whole neo-reactionary circles yet so i didn't pay much attention but going back and listen to it again like yeah i should have i should have paid more attention <laughs> but um but yeah so i'm gonna do a book club on the uh populist delusion talk about elite series the different authors in here um right out of the gate i want to say a lot of amazing how sort the book is i mean it's just it's straight through a chapter like 30 minutes long and it covers so many people i mean if i if you wanted to read everyone in this book it would probably take you a year to go through every single person, maybe two years for one of the guys. I think it was um, which one had the, uh, I forgot who had the really big one, big book. Was it a uh, the monster or no? Well, um, uh, one of them. Leviathan and its enemies. Francis is a is a long book. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to go through it now, and it's, it's just trying to get through that and uh, Imperium at the same time, and it's just it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, reading two books at the same time is always fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's only 147 pages. There's nothing in there that is wasted. I mean, it is everything is meat. And then you have another almost 20 pages of footnotes and and the books that he read for it. I mean, so it's honestly, this may be the best political theory primer that I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, would, I would agree. It and I, I, this this was the first uh, was actually the second book I ever read involving stuff on elite theory, and so it was just a uh, a lot of you here on podcasts or you kind of read here and there on Twitter, but to kind of get it distilled and focused in one book was really helpful. Instead of having to go and try to read Burnham, um, Samuel France, Samuel T. Francis, uh, Godfrey, and all the other people whose names I can't pronounce, um, it's just that's a lot, and to condense it on to 147 pages in this. And it's not even that expensive either. How much you getting out of it? This is a phenomenal book. Yeah the the fact that he basically so what here's the way I describe it. It's the Machiavellians, but added onto the Machiavellians, you have Fran, um, Samuel T. Francis and um, what's his name? Okay, Paul Godfrey. So. It's like the Machiavellians, but with updates. And what's funny is with two people who knew James Burnham. Mm. So you're basically like the whole book is people that influenced Burnham to write the Machiavellians and then talks about Burnham. And then it ends with two of his 
call them students, but more like um, compatriots. Yeah. Yeah. His his chapter on Burnham, uh, I did not know how I did not know Burnham influenced uh, George Orwell. That was a interesting little tidbit. He just kind of dropped it. And I'm like, I, I got now I want to go back and reread Animal Farm and see if I can just notice anything different about it because <laughs> I, I haven't read that in years, but I, I really enjoyed it last time I read it. Well, when I found out that 1984 was about 19 about Britain in 1948, that he just changed the two numbers, that kind of, that blew me away, but it also made sense, you know, after you. When you look at the, you know, what happened after Nuremberg, how much that how the world was going to be. So, yeah, that, that actually made a lot of sense, too, when I found out that Orwell uh, Orwell had done that as well. Yeah, it all kind of clicked into place. Once you hear, once you hear it laid out with a little bit of knowledge you have on like history or the Nuremberg trials or Weimar Zone, it kind of all like lines up and it kind of clicks at the same moment. Like, oh, it makes sense now. These little odd things you kind of hear here and there don't make sense. And they always click right into place. But. Yeah, elite series. Um, I put this when it came to it. When it came to first hearing about and reading about elite series, I had the same reaction I had when I first kind of heard about Austrian economics. Is that this makes sense and this is very common sense and this kind of comports to reality very easily. Uh, while most other political series seem very much either pie in the sky or very too, way too cynical, this one just seems to line up exactly with how reality operates and this works. I think it, it's very hard for people who especially libertarians and political libertarians, it's hard for them to accept. Mm. They, they want to believe that they can change things. And yeah, I still believe you can change things at the local level. I, I think work can be done at the local level. But once people realize that mankind has always been ruled by elites, and if you want to make change in the direction that you want, you're going to have to replace them with replace the existing elites with your elites, with the elites that, you know, people you like, you know, the whole friend enemy distinction, the whole um, yeah. someone who's going to go in there and reward their friends and punish their enemies. Then it's really hard for people to accept because people think that they can do things. People think they understand how the world works. Uh, I think a lot of people think that, you know, believing that if people just read the right books and they just hear the right message, then everything will change is actually literally democracy is actually believing in democracy. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're going that somehow um, a group of people are going to change people's minds and then a whole bunch of people are going to rise up. And it's like those people never rise up without um, somebody pulling the strings for them. Yeah. And I think that's very hard for people to understand. You know, it's, I really wish that, well, and, and it's another reason why a lot of libertarians hate Hoppe. Hoppe knows this. Hoppe knows the stuff that's in here. And he writes about it. And that's why, you know, you'll see idiots on Facebook posting um, polls like, who's a bigger statist, Murray Rothbard or Hans Hermann Hoppe? And I'll be like, oh, Hoppe hands down and everything. It's like, why? Because he understands how the world works and how Ugh. the only way you're going to change it is by basically having to mess with the system. I, I guess I guess status means comports to reality. I guess that's what that means now. But yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I, I mean I, I, you I, can. I mean, it, hey, maybe maybe memes are the way to go. Maybe <laughs> memes are going to change the world. Maybe podcasts are going to change the world. You know, maybe the Libertarian Party is going to change the world. Maybe 
getting a, a great messenger out there and a second Ron Paul revolution is going to change the world. After reading books like this, sorry. Yeah. So. No, yeah, I, I can't. Um, after reading this book and really understanding that populism doesn't really, how do I put this? Populism exists, but it doesn't really make changes. It just mm-hmm. kind of inspires elites to notice something and make action based on the people's wants. It's very difficult to see any solution that could work in a democratic system. Any solution that's in a democratic system that does not account for elites isn't going to function. And I think that all libertarians aren't like, like the, uh, who are the elites in the Libertarian Party? I can't think of anyone who's like a good elite in the Libertarian Party. Well, that would be somebody that would have to be willing to take power. And well, that would be somebody who'd be have to be willing to knock, to go up against the existing elites and replace them. I mean, and what does that take? What does that look like? You know, those are, I think those are questions that really should be answered. And when I ask them, I just get called black pilled and things like that. Yeah. So it's fine. I mean, it's fine. People, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. 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 Um, I was seeing like libertarian, Hopper, um, Hopper, and on the least and stuff. I recently reread um, Hopper's book. Um, or was it a natural elites intellectuals in the state? Mm. Which is, I think that's my favorite uh, hop of pamphlet or hop of anything. Like, I, I absolutely, it's, you read that one, it all makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's I'm gonna incredible. read that on my, I'm gonna read that on my show one day. If even if I have to read it alone, I'm gonna read that on my, my show one day. Um, I got, I got lucky. I got to grab a, I got Hagfest over here. Did it with me on live reading. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, the um, and that's another thing about Hoppe is when. You read Hoppe, he's really the only libertarian writer who writes about elites, yeah. a libertarian theorist who writes about elites, economists, whatever. I mean, Hoppe is everything, so it's kind of hard to um, to classify him, but he's the only one. And I think that's why, you know, people read what must be done, and they're like, well, that's statism, you're playing inside the system, no one can beat the system, and everything. It's like, okay, well, I mean, uh, yeah, what can you do? I mean... But then just keep posting memes. I do it every day. Yeah. Um, keep doing podcasts. I do it every week. And keep reading books. I do it all the time. But there's what books are you reading? You know, who are you talking to on podcasts? And what kind of memes are you posting? And if you are becoming politically active, what are you planning? What's the plan? Because, you know, I've been told by certain people that, well, we're doing Hoppe's what must be done. Pete, Pete, what are you fighting against? We're doing Hoppe's what must be done. And then in Hoppe's what must be done, he talks about it. And throughout all of his writing, he talks about this is only going to work if the group doing it is explicitly right-wing. But Pete... We're going to create a libertarian culture. Uh, it's going to it's going to replace the right wing culture and the left wing culture. You know, and it's like Jose Nino said on my podcast recently. I don't want to know what a libertarian culture looks like. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want. I, I can't even imagine. It's just, it's um a, a libertarian culture would probably be like the culture um uh, Eric von Kluge within describes in leftism talks about a, a, a truly agnostic uh, de- democratic 
uh, a truly agnostic Democrat can't ever say anything is wrong. He has to just say, well, you may believe that, I may believe that, but let's go about our day as if nothing is, uh, there's no disagreement. A libertarian culture would just be everyone being indifferent to each other and everyone being terrible all the time. That just sounds awful and terrible well, for everyone. Possibly, or it could be, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it could be um, Ayn Rand's on skepticism. I was talking with someone about that book this weekend. I'm not on skepticism, on selfishness. Um, you know, I was talking with someone about that. And, and then, that, um, <laughs> and then there's, and, but then you know, you're like, okay, so what is it legal weed? Is that what's going to do it is, I mean, okay. I mean, people shouldn't be going to jail for stuff like that. I agree. But if that's what you're leading with, okay, good luck. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, you know, it was like everybody got mad at, um, Jacob Hornberger, running for for president uh, running to be the lp presidential candidate in 2020 because during the lockdowns he's talking about open borders and taking away people's social security read the fucking room i mean read the room yeah yeah i mean it, it, they don't it's just this these constant i mean another thing is i mean i i hate these wars I want these people to come home. I want the true. I, I want these bases to be closed. Um, I, I want to protect. You know, if you're gonna do anything, protect the homeland. That's what Ron Paul always talked about. Yeah. Um, but if you want to end the wars, you got to put elites in there that want to end the wars. Posting on Twitter, great. I've changed people's minds on Twitter by posting stuff. I don't think I've changed any elites' minds on Twitter by posting no. stuff. So let's you know. Let's, let's be let's take i'm not even gonna say let's just take that into consideration it's just a consideration yeah absolutely speaking of elites like i was i was reading this book at work today and my co-worker of mine um asked me about the asked me about it and he's he's somewhat politically aware um he's a catholic so he's kind of like outside the mainstream political stuff but not super into all of it and um He's like, who are the elites? Like, who are these people you would say are the elites? And I'm like, well, I can't tell your name. They only say classes of elites, like intellectual class, media class, mm -hmm. um, the Satanists, obviously, because I think Satan's at the top of all of it. Um, and we started discussing, like, where are the classes of the elites? You know, and some people say there's only three classes. There's, like, the there's partisans, the natural elites, and, like, the intellectual class. I think there's probably more than that. How many, If you had to guess or the answer for that, well, how many classes of elites are there? Well, I mean, historically... I guess Pareto would say there's uh, is it Pareto who says there's two? There are the class um, one, class two, uh, yeah, class yeah. one, yeah. yeah, and class one and class two. But I mean, now when you take, I mean, he was writing before the internet technology. I mean, so you have to think about the the elites that control communication, the elites that that I mean, you right, the academy is one, obviously, government's one. Um, the media is another one. Yarvin says they're all th all three of those are part of the same group. So you know it's like, uh, but big tech has to be thrown in there as well now, and you know I think that's a big one. And after twenty twenty, I mean, ph pharmaceuticals has to be has to have their own set of elites. Medicine yeah. has to have their own set of elites. So. I mean, it's it's tough. Andrew saying it was Pareto. Yeah, yeah, Pareto. Pareto was um, talked about two classes, but yeah, there's more now. I mean, and obviously, I mean, what, what, look at when Pareto was writing compared to now. So, you know. yeah. On the um, 
I had a question. I just lost it. I'm gonna go to a different question. Um, a lot of people say you, you get you, you get called black pilled a lot. I get called black pilled. A lot of people who talk about lead series gets black um get called get called black pilled. I want to talk about if you don't mind Curtis Yarvin's recent piece. Um, he wrote with the uh, dark elf and elf example. I didn't read it. I I didn't. Yeah. I I heard I, I heard it discussed. Oren discussed it on his podcast yeah. and um. Yeah, I heard it there, and I, that's it. I, I didn't read it. Okay. I didn't. I just don't. I didn't have time. It's all good. I I've only I only read it because I wanted to see what everyone was talking about, and I I don't think he's wrong in anything he says in it. Um, but it was it like a lot of people were using it as the example to say, oh, when you buy into elite theory, it means you only accept that elites can fix things, so you're black pill until you get your own elites, and that's just a daunting task. You just it's, it inherently leads to you being black pill about about reality. Which I, I don't. Yeah, I don't get that at all. Well, it's not true because. There are a lot of people, I mean, there are tons of people in this country who are thriving and living beautiful lives with beautiful families, happy as can be. And because they don't like watch TV or pay attention to politics, <laughs> you know, it's like it's easy to become blackpilled when your whole thing is talking about politics, you know, and some of us are burdened with that. Some of us feel compelled to do it. Some of us feel like that's the mission that we have. But I mean, you go go to your supermarket locally and you can just, I guarantee you a quarter of the people you talk to in there are, they, they don't have that burden and it's not really hitting them, you know? And mm -hmm. you could talk about taxation all you want. You know, it's like, all right, they're taking away 40, you know, 50 to 60% of your income when you take into account all the kind of taxes that you can pay. People are still happy. Maybe that's ignorance is bliss. But like I said, you know, maybe these people don't have. I, I cut the, I cut the cord on cable TV in 2014, mm -hmm. 2015. I pretty much get all of my news off the internet, and I really only pay, I really only pay attention to really one section of news that I think is, um, you know, one facet of the whole of what's going on that I think is the most important at this point. But, you know, because I don't think the Federal Reserve will, even if, like, the dollar collapsed tomorrow, they'd have a currency ready. They have, they already have a currency ready to, to replace it. Mm -hmm. And people will be begging for it. And um, the wars, you know, really, you know, people are like, oh, and the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve's not going anywhere. People are going to, people want it. People have been, I mean, and it doesn't matter whether they want it naturally or they've been trained to want it. It really doesn't matter. Um, so the, we're not getting rid of the federal reserve anytime soon. So you got to figure out a way around all of this. And I really think it is local politics, but you know, I think it's local politics done the right way. Yeah. You know, people, you know, reading hop is what must be done and missing the part about explicitly right-wing orderly. Man, that's like, you know, that's like baking, you know, baking a cake and forgetting flour. I mean, you're just, it's what's going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say to people. Um, because I mean, and here, hey man, we're, we're, we're here to, we're, does this here to destroy power? Does this here to destroy yeah. power? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and I'm laughing because I'm laughing at myself two and a half years mm -hmm. ago. I believed all this bullshit. Yeah. I believed all this stuff that I've been fed. And all they have to do, they don't even have to re leave libertarianism. They could just read Hoppe. Yeah. You know, what's funny is 
I interview all of these like dissident right guys. And I, and, you know, I recently talked to um, Tim Kelly from our interesting times and you, you talk to these guys and, you know, they all, and even Z, you know, like Z man, I, I interviewed Z man recently. Yeah. They all crap on libertarianism, except if you bring up Papa, they all instinctively know that Hoppe's right. But libertarians are going to push back against it because libertarianism has been completely subverted by leftism. Yeah. And leftism looks at Hoppe and they see fascist right winger pick mm. your pick your term for progressive bingo. Yeah, and that's where we are. Yeah. The libertarian label is is gone. I don't I I love the Hoppians. I I've talked to many of them about why they probably should drop in my opinion to drop the word libertarian and I get loads of pushback on that one because they, they they are just so tied to that word for some reasons I can't fathom. I don't know why they want to be associated with all the people who claim to be libertarians, like 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 Vaus, the socialist libertarian. They they, they there's no there's zero in common between that guy and someone like Jared from In Democracy, and yet they both want to be called libertarians. I I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see why anyone would want to do that. Well, I mean, didn't the Libertarian Party of Texas invite Vash to come and talk? And yeah. I mean, I mean, I. Why do I want to be associated with that? You know, it's like I was invited to go to um. To Young Americans for Liberty, for the, to their their conference, they offered to pay for me to go. I said no. <laughs> They're run by friggin' neocons now. <laughs> They're run by people who like like cheer on Liz Cheney because Liz Cheney's anti-Trump. It's like, well, okay, well, I mean, I, I don't, I, I realize that Trump wasn't the savior and that he was just turned out to be a really scumbag, real scumbag. Um, I mean, I would have, before I left, I would have pardoned every one of those people on January 6th for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, just blanket pardons. But the, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go, I'm not, why do really the only like i mean there might be some libertarian events that i go to and everything but they're going to be decidedly right wing i went to ron ron paul's event recently and i mostly went to that i was in houston because ryan ryan dawson was there from was in from japan and i wanted to hang out with him but i mean still i have no problem going to a ron paul event because it's explicitly right wing why am i going to you know yeah i don't know I don't, yeah. I don't get it anymore. It's just like, it's not, it, once you, I could, I could make excuses through 2019. Once 2020, once 2020 hit and I saw people making excuses for the lockdowns, making excuses for the jabs and the masks and all this stuff, even prominent quote unquote libertarians, maybe even one or two associated with the Mises Institute. I mean, and you know, it's always like this. I mean, I'm sorry, this is defending, this is defending mandates. Well, I don't think it should be, they should be mandated, but it really is a good idea. If go fuck yourself. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. I mean, you're not as being as explicit as Cato, but you are telling us your preference and you are, you know, and it's one of those things, one of those, th like the thing Michael Malice says, anything before but in a political statement, just ignore it. You're telling me what you, what you believe by what, what's mm -hmm. what you say after the but. So, yeah. yeah.
um, back back to the book. Samuel Francis, in like one of the later chapters, he wrote about how ideology and how does ideology does affect the elites. That there's they have an ideology. Is, is there a foregoing like intellectual elite like today who actually is like the ideological sinker for like people around today, or is it kind of just all the ones who were the ideological forerunner are, are dead? And it's kind of just the ideas that are just manifesting themselves through the elites today, or is there, is there a guy out there somewhere? writing and talking who is the intellectual elite yeah well it depends what uh, are you are you talking about who would be on our side no no on uh, on their side who who is the leftist oh, elite that is oh the leftist elite i mean a thought leader yeah I mean, they probably they probably look at um i bet a lot of them still look at chomsky mm. yeah i bet a lot of them still look yeah. at Chomsky, especially since he's you know, hates Russia and, you know, was a COVID, you know, was into COVID tyranny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's one person I can think of. Um, but I mean, when it comes to like a real intellectual, I mean, what even is that anymore? Yeah. Someone to read books, someone who reads books. I mean, I don't know. You have to have a PhD after your name in order to, to be an intellectual. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, my I was asked that question a while ago, and my answer was uh, Tomsky and uh, the ghost of Leo Strauss. Those are my two <laughs> answers. <laughs> those, are the, those are the guys I would pick. Um, but that's one thing. I find a, um, I have a friend who's a, an English major who wants to go be a professor. And he's right wing. He's Catholic. He wants to go, go to a Catholic school and teach, but he's going to like a leftist college because it's the only one near him. And the amount of books his teachers, hey, go read this book, and they slide on some book on like why white people are evil and the uh, how to teach um, CRT to like toddlers or some shit like that. He's just sending me all these books that all these like the the intellectual classes uh, propaganda books, pretty much to give out to the students. Um, it's been it's been fun going through some of the books because it's just straight up evil. Like the books are getting like straight up, it's like the war on the family. Why it's good, basically. It's um, but why? Well, I mean, save those books too. Don't burn them. Oh no, I'm, I've been reading when after these leftists get lined up against a wall, people are gonna <laughs> wonder why. We can show them the evidence. I like it. Um, so why is there? It's clearly. It seems clear to me there is a war on the family from the elites. Uh, why is that? If you have the if you answer, why is that? Because they need to be in control of the populace and families, and especially white families, have a tendency to be more independent than any other family. They don't need to rely on the government as much. So if you want to have a populace that looks to you for everything, you have to take the strongest um, and the strongest people and declare war on them. And that's pretty much why. That's why you see a war on the family and you see a war on white people. Yeah, I, I would agree. Back to the book. We keep getting off topic from the book and going back to the book. Um, this is all about the book. Oh, yeah, it's all connected. It's all about, <laughs> it's all about the elites. Um, out, of all the, out of all the chapters and the different people he wrote about, James Burnham, Samuel Francis, Pareto, what's one of you... Have you read those ones? Have you read what's have you enjoyed reading the most out of those groups? Like, is it Burnham? Is it Francis? Like, who's, a, who's someone in that group that you've enjoyed reading? And you'd recommend other people go out and read as well, well. I really do enjoy, um, enjoy Burnham because, especially for the time he was writing mm. and where he came from, um, was 
was inter- was interesting. I liked the juvenile because he's like probably the least um of a scholar amongst most of them of you know of what most would call an intellectual but you know once you start getting into Carl Schmidt and you start figure I mean Carl Schmidt just has one line that just get, tells you what government is better than anyone else it's he who makes the exception and says the one who says, okay, every, no one's allowed to kill except this person, except this group. You know, and then also Schmidt talks about friend enemy distinction too. And that's that's really important. But yeah, I know um one of my friends, Christian, said that listening to Schmidt, uh reading Schmidt and reading Schmidt on the exception, that really like I guess you know, you just just something you never think you you never really think of until someone puts it in terms like that and you're just like oh it was like um the first time I read um oh John C Calhoun his disquisition on government and he said that um the reason it, it really screwed me up because you know I was still kind of a I was still holding on to libertarianism pretty hard and non-hopian libertarianism and he said that the reason that you need a government is because when it when it comes down to it, people are have more self interest. So if they're going to be more interested in them themselves and their family than their neighbor and their neighbor's family, so somebody has to be there to be able to you know in case there's an emergency to have. Dictate order between the you know that person and their neighbor, and now we know the government doesn't do that. But in theory, talking about theory, and what made me laugh about that when I was reading it and almost dropped the book was that's the same argument that like free market economists make for why laissez-faire will work because of self-interest, and I'm not convinced of that so much anymore. You know, it's like people. When people make arguments, I mean, I believe that the freer in the market, the um, the better off people will be. But I also believe that on a much smaller scale, you know, libertarians turn out to be globalists a lot of times. They, yeah. they believe that the whole world needs to be libertarian. And that's just horseshit. It's not going to happen ever. Yeah. Like 30, 50, 100 people, you know. Yeah. The, lib- the uh, like the universal market libertarians. I like, I like, I like Bob Murphy. I can't read Chaos Theory. I, I just, I've tried. It's just, it seems any, um, like Ace. I, I love Ace. Ace is great. He went on a continental to talk about anarchism, and he just all we did was talk about like uh, the market, uh, like universal market version of anarchism, not, not even one for like a covenant community style. And I'm like, if you're gonna talk to a right wing person, you gotta talk about the covenant communities. Going with like the universal market style of anarchism doesn't convince many people. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah. It doesn't. That's some problem. I don't think it would work. Sure, and if you're going to do communities of 30, 50, or a hundred, or hundred and fifty, probably at most, that doesn't mean you're not trading with other people. Yeah, which just means that that's how your economy is going to function, at, at, you know, best. But yeah, I mean, some well, you know, you you ask people, okay, so you know, you'll ask Ace, well, how will this work? And he'll tell you, and it's like, okay, prove it. I mean, because it's all theory. It hasn't worked before. You know, it hasn't worked before. And and places, and what's funny is, 
whenever they bring up places like medieval Iceland or um, you know, Ireland, places like that, where isn't it strange that it's a homogenous society of people who are probably mostly related to each other? Yeah, isn't that weird? So it's, it's just like the progressives, whenever the progressives say, oh, we should be more like Sweden. Oh, you mean that country that used to be completely homogenous? Where, or Iceland, where like they have a dating app that you put your name, you put your name and the person who you're going to date's name into it so that you can um, see if you're related. <laughs> because that's how, you know, that's how 300,000 people. So, yeah. You know, and they're and they're pretty much probably all related. So, mm. Let's see here. Um, let's talk about the Manazio elites for a little bit. That was a James oh. Burns book, Manazio Revolution. Um, Once you see that, you can never unsee it. Man. Oh yeah. my god! Especially like, through COVID. If people yeah. don't believe in managerial elites who live who <laughs> lived through COVID, I, I I don't I can't help them. Yeah, this too far gone. I mean. His bottom books go, I think it's Suicide West, Manzuri Elites, Machiavellians. It goes through this, like, uh, I think Suicide West might be my favorite political book. Like, Suicide of the, it's, it's so good. It's, it's definitely my favorite um, Burnham book. When I read that, I was like, oh, oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I get it now. Now, and the best, the best way to read that book is read it while you're reading James, um, Sam Francis's review of it because mm. um, Buck and I, Buck Johnson and I did that on my show where we sat there and we read through his, I think it was 12 or 13 page, like cliff notes of suicide of the West. And it just, it floors you. And what's funny is Buck and I had underlined all the same stuff. It was, it, it's just so <laughs> obvious that when he's, um, when he's talking about it. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, Sam Francis. I, I'm 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 going through uh, Beautiful Losers now because I'm having a uh, Taylor and Jared on for a book of, of it, and um, oh, cool. Francis is just incredible. I mean, I, I the more I read him, the more I'm just blown away. How like makes me really hate Nessa Souza. <laughs> like the more I read Francis, the more I hate yeah. Nessa Souza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's just awful. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's he's a right wing gatekeeper. That's what he is. There's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of people on the right. I mean. James, Jonah Goldberg is a clown. He, he, I mean, the guy, the guy has a fucking clown nose and clown shoes. He has to, because he's a clown. He wrote liberal fascism. <sighs> Where do I start? I can't. Where do I start? I mean, how many people have destroyed that term? Read Paul Gottfried's book on it. He has a book on fascism and a book on anti-fascism. Mm-hmm. You can really find out what they actually mean and stop using these fucking terms. Stop just destroying these terms. Yeah. Come on. It's just, it, but there are gatekeepers on the right. You saw it when Ben Dominich attacked Pedro Gonzalez on Twitter and called him a barrio Nazi. Ben Dominich is a right-wing gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. You don't need leftist when a right-winger is going starts drifting further to the right. You don't need to worry about leftists calling them a fascist. Their own their their quote-unquote own people will do that. Yeah. They will do that every single time. Yeah. At this at this point anyone in the mainstream right is this an authorized right-winger? To see the authorized right. That's all it is. Yeah. Um it's 
I think like the only only real mainstream right wing person I can think of is like is like Pedro and Tucker. Those are the only ones really yeah. worth paying attention. Like and Pedro is fantastic. I, I remember I first the first time I heard about Pedro was his like a uh, his minimal his uh, fifteen dollar minimal wage argument he made. When yeah. I was like a peak libertarian, I'm like this guy's a this guy's a loser, and I just ignored him. Yeah, and you yeah. interviewed him on your show all this like uh, like a couple months later. I'm like, oh no, this guy's pretty awesome. He makes sense. <laughs> sort of just yeah. uh, stuck to it. He's... For, yeah, I think the first time I saw Pedro was on Tucker, and it was it was very impressive. He's he's very impressive. Yeah. yeah. Anyone who anyone who's writing for Chronicle is normally um, top tier. Oh yeah, if someone's writing for Chronicles, I'm not worried about them. I'm pretty much accepting. Um, yeah accepting where they are um then of course they talk about robert michelle's iron law of oligarchy yeah I, I will say this because you know i've actually talked to um i i, I won't say this okay because it was a <laughs> private conversation I, I don't have um but but you know <laughs> one of the things now that the mises caucus has taken over the libertarian party i want them to be good i want them to do something with it even if it's just messaging whatever it is do it if it's going to be local politics hardcore right-wing local politics but like when you start talking about the iron law of oligarchy how basically the ideologues or even if they take over they're not going to be in charge very long it's always going to be the oligarchs and one thing that i noticed right off the bat was they were celebrating so hard Todd Hagopian being like the treasurer. And this guy is a leftist. He wanted to vaccinate kids. He marched with BLM. He, I mean, this guy is the, this guy is horrifying. Yeah. And they put him in a position of all of bureaucracy oligarchy whatever you want to call it the, yeah. they put him in a position that the person who gets positions like that usually takes over the party usually ends up taking over the party because the people who are ideologues eventually they're worried about the ideology they're out there oh it's messaging and everything like that while behind the scenes the ones who are all about bureaucracy and um centralizing take over I, I can't believe they did that and then they celebrated it they celebrated it I, and i'm just like oh yeah Ugh. The, the the whole um oh, what's his name hector hector roos the guy running in for, for governor of florida the like that's another clown yeah i'm um i'm interviewing him uh next week i think maybe a week, two weeks later to be fantastic um the fact that the Libertarian Party didn't authorize his running and he just ran anyway by like a local system that locally supported him, it was, I only could laugh. I only could do was laugh at the Libertarian love of decentralization bit him in the ass and made everyone who said they're not going to run against the Sanders a liar. Like if they just if they just centralized it a little bit more, this wouldn't have happened. But they loved the ideology so much they decentralized their own political party, and it's just causing all this shit now. Yeah, that's it. Andrew's over here saying Hector completely contradicts their messaging on Shane Hazel. But then again, Shane Hazel's for destroying power. And I like Shane Hazel. I've hung out with Shane Hazel. Shane Hazel is a friend of mine. <laughs> and he talks about destroying power. <laughs> I mean, just, oh my God. I, I, when I was in my biggest Lawbird phase, I never, I always knew that somebody was going to have power. 
another reason why Hoppe is really the only is has put together the system, mm-hmm. the libertarian if you want libertarianism, if you want privacy, uh, private cities, things like that. His he's the only one to follow because he understands that power is always going to exist. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a set amount of power in this world. I'm convinced of this. Okay, because think about it this way. If there was an imperial king over the whole world, he would only be able to wield so much power. There would come a point where he he couldn't have any more power. So that is the limit on power in this world. Mm-hmm. As it's decentralized and you have different countries, that power is split up, split up, split. But it always exists. And that's what people are fighting over. Some people are getting more of it. Some people want more of it. Some people have have some taken away. But that power always, it doesn't disappear. It's always, you would have to basically kill everyone on the planet mm-hmm. to get rid of power. Yeah. Or have somehow breed into, you know, like have a shift in evolution where people, nobody on earth wants power anymore. Yeah. And that just doesn't seem to be logical when you study humans. Yeah, so it's almost like they have no power. Everyone have to be even like, even if you put two guys in a room, one guy's stronger than the other guy. That guy has power over the smaller guy, and so there's no unless everyone is all of a sudden perfectly equal and and egalitarian, then then maybe you could have given a power then. But it's just it seems to coincide perfectly with the um, liberals want egalitarianism, also because they want to destroy power. Now it just seems to kind of line up there. But if you had somebody who you know did that there would still be people vying for power again. You would have to use power to suppress people's want for power. Yeah. That was the whole thing about the United States. The United States could be you know, the freest country on the planet if they followed their founding documents. But the problem is, is they weren't going to wield the power it takes to um, crush the ideologies that destroy liberty Mm -hmm. and as a matter of fact they adopted classical liberalism which is live and let live which is um the quote-unquote marketplace of ideas which is um i'll i don't agree with i i disagree with you but i'll fight to the death for you know for you to have a wrong opinion i mean all of that's all that stuff is just leads to totalitarianism it's a friggin' psyop you know it's like (laughs) what is rachel what does rachel tobias say said um um, psyops and um, psyops and false flags or or psyops and false flags or something like that or common sense goy control (laughs) 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 (sighs) yeah the 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 marketplace of ideas that was one of the things I think it was your episode was Curtis Yarvin when I when he heard him go after that when I realized okay I, I'm not I clearly don't believe in that anymore like he just completely broke me up the idea of the marketplace of ideas like Curtis Yarvin does a lot of things he just oh, I see a random podcast with him on some random topic I'll listen to that and I'm just like okay I can't he's right I can't listen to that one anymore gotta move on he's yeah I um, mean yeah, don't agree with him 100 percent on yeah. a lot of things but he can definitely shatter a lot of really bad arguments any and pretty much any art any dogma that comes out of classical liberalism mm. yeah so yeah i know this is me i've noticed let me see i want to see if you i want to see if you've uh, noticed it as well 
uh, most libertarians can't stand Hamilton, but it mm-hmm. seems like more right wing or more neo reactionary libertarian gets the more they kind of get respect for Hamilton. Has if you has the same thing happened to you where you kind of not like Hamilton, you kind of like change your views on Hamilton? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I still, yeah, I, I still understand how bad central banking is, but mm-hmm. at least he understood that government was going to have corruption. Yeah, yeah. That's. Absolutely. I think there's a Michael Malice quotes the line all the time that um somebody was saying the the best thing about the American Constitution is the lack of corruption. And Hamilton said the best thing about the French uh, Constitution is the corruption, because corruption is built into central planning and government. Yeah. So, I mean, you might as well start out with it. <laughs> you might yeah. you, you might as well read it into the <laughs> read it into the hand. You know, read it into yeah. what you're doing. So, uh. absolutely. Let's see. Uh, let's talk about the um, the therapeutic state. This is actually what I knew I knew quite a bit about going into it because I I covered. Um, with Mark Metz, um, Paul Goffrey's book on the therapeutic state. And I thought that book was just uh, in, spot on and incredible. Uh, and of course, uh, AA condenses it and covers most of the ideas in that book in five, what, eight pages? I mean, it's like you can't even go through this book. You end up underlining everything. Yeah. Because that's the way he wrote it. He cut out all the fat and just gave you, gave you the meat. And it's like mm-hmm. it, my whole book is just you know, it's like Imperium. The first time I went through Imperium, I was like, okay, well, I got a couple lines here, a couple lines there. Second time I'm going through Imperium, I'm just like, underline everything, underline everything, underline everything. Yeah. All right, what am I going to do? 100%. Um, it's to me like, I know it's like a good good academic work does that. Like, if you ever read um, Ed Faze's Philosophy of the Mind, he condenses like entire like schools of thought in like, a, like one page. And it's like good academic, just, good academic can do that. What's when you read it, when you see a good academic do his work like that, it's just so impressive. And you compare it to other academic works, which are just nothing but fluff. It's just, it really shows how sad and how decrepit all education system is nowadays, where the academics that are coming out of it just kind of suck. <laughs> well, if they can't tell you, if, if they can't give you the information what, what, uh, you know, on what, that can fit on one page, if it takes, if they need 10 pages, they're just trying to show you how smart they are. It has mm-hmm. more to say about them than it has to say about anyone else. AA could have made this book 500, 600 pages long, but he made it 147 pages long. I mean, I read this book in two days. I could have read it all in one day, but I'm lazy. So I, I split it up into two days. And you read this book twice. P- even people who aren't, you know, I read this book having a pretty good working knowledge of elite theory, but you read this through twice. and. I mean, first of all, if you're a libertarian, if you're still calling yourself a libertarian after that, you should be calling yourself a hoppian mm-hmm. because it's the only thing that makes sense after that, you know, or, you know, this may just destroy liberty. You know, you may come to the conclusion that it's just even that's not workable. I, I don't I don't agree with that because Hop is talking about local level. And he's mm-hmm. talking about 10,000 Lichtenstein's. Um, and I believe that that's workable. I don't believe that 10,000 is workable. Um, eventually, I think you would need a bunch of Lichtensteins that people are looking at and they're like, hey, you know, we really should do that. So they play copycat. Um, mm-hmm. But and so I think that's workable. But like, you know, Liberts, I, I was thinking today, I, for, I forget who I was listening to, but, you know, I know people who are libertarian universalists. They believe that libertarianism is for everyone in the world. I mean, that's just globalism. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's a globalist mindset. 
So, I mean, it's not, that can't work. I mean, I'm, unless you're a globalist, unless you're a leftist. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It seems like implicit in several libertarian type of arguments is like one, the globalist, uh, materialistic morality, and like they also seem to be universalist when they're like, no, everyone has equal rights. Then that just, that just sounds like egalitarian. You know, it's like, it seems to be a the most distilled, perfected form of uh, of the liberal syndrome that Burnham writes about in Suicide of the West. Like, it was, I was trying to read that book. Like, this is about liberals. I kept like, why is he describing my friends online? <laughs> yeah. Well, was... pedo- pedophiles do not have the same rights as somebody who, you know, steals shoplifts. I'm sorry, it's just not true. And there are, and I think that um, what what does Z Man say? He said that libertarianism works if you have a bunch of 100 and i 120 iq white guy, suburban white guys who can figure out how not to reproduce without who can figure out how to reproduce without women that's basically <laughs> this bunch of uh, he's he's not wrong no, <laughs> you know it's pretty accurate yeah uh, yeah it's um let's see well, I think we covered most of it. I think the only thing we didn't talk about was the uh, the circulation of elites. So let's oh, yeah. uh, let's kind of talk about that one. I think we've covered all the best parts of the book. Um, yeah, I mean, what it's what we basically started talking about was um, that if you if you're there are always elites, but they're not static. Yeah. Some people drop out, and a lot of that has to do with some people. Um, some people become elites by knocking out other elites. Some people stop being elites because they lose their fortune, they lose their influence, they suffer a scandal, something like that. Um, which is why, and and this has happened throughout history. This is, oh, you can go back to clans. Clans were run by elites. I mean, they didn't call them elites, but if you study, if you examine who they are, they're elites. Yeah. And this is why Hoppe, if, if you're still a libertarian, Hoppe is really the one you have to be studying because he's the only one who writes about elites. He figured it out because I know Murray read a bunch of these guys, but hmm. and I wonder if Murray would have lived if he would have written more about that, because I know Hoppe, he and Hoppe had to talk about it a lot. But, hmm. you know, Hoppe wrote about it and the people that that Nima writes about in this book. Hopper read them all. Yeah. He knows them all. He's, he quotes the juvenile all the time. He, he, I mean, it's, it's obvious. So when I look at it, it's like, okay, so I read For a New Liberty by, by, by Rothbard, and there's some great stuff in there. But there's, it's not, ha- and, he, and he lays out how to get there, but it's, it's not reason. Yeah. It's not in reality. Then you read Hoppe. And what's the first, what, what's one of the first things he talks about and what, and what must be done? Identifying natural elites, identifying the pillars of the community locally and getting them on your side and talking to them. And how do, how do even recognize who they are? He gets it. He gets it. You know, I mean, it, he just gets it. I mean, I'm, there's a, yeah, I mean, that's one thing that people will take out of reading this book, which is another reason why I think a lot of people just don't want to read the book. It's like a lot of Christians do not want to read 
any book that criticizes Christianity. Why? Because they have weak faith. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I mean, I, I, mean, I did it. I read um, some of the German liberals and they helped me to see some things. But the, um, you know, well, I'm talking about um, like Ernst Casemann and um, Karl Barth, who textual criticism, th- things like that. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think they will tell you, I don't want to read, libertarians will tell you, I don't want to read this book because it's a waste of my time. I already know what's in there. Um, they don't know how things work. We do, but the ones that do want to take the time to read 147 pages or listen to what, five, six hours. If that, I mean, it's, it's like 30 minutes, a tap to eight tap to So go ahead do that. And you'll learn something, even if you don't agree at least you can know the argument. At least you can argue why it why it's wrong. Why you think it's wrong? Yeah. You know. I mean, yeah. I could tell you. It's easy for me to be like, okay, this is why I don't think that, that this liber this part of libertarianism that most of libertarianism except Hoppe is going to work because I I read all those books. I used to teach about that. I've done. I did four or five hundred episodes on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I have it down, and I think I understand why it just doesn't work. Why 2020 happened? You know, so um, yeah, this, this it, is a real problem with a lot of libertarians. They you can always tell when a libertarian stops reading, and you can always tell when one of them stops reading outside their own tradition. Like there are guys who just every page they buy books from the Mises Institute, never buy anything outside. <laughs> of, if it's not a Mises Institute, they don't want to read it. <laughs> and I, I don't blame them. There's a lot of great stuff on the Mises Institute. I mean, you, you get all of Eric von Kudlerden on the Mises Institute, but. There's a lot of books outside like the libertarians business. Like, all these books on myself are all libertarian. It's like eight who aren't libertarian. There's a lot of great books. There's, there's a lot of great books that aren't libertarian that need to be read. Like this one, like Yaki, this one, Evola, just all these books that really need to be read. Um, we got, I got one more question before we wrap it up. Do you have anything, anything you want to say before we, uh, we wrap it up? Oh, what, do I, anything I want to say? I mean, I just yeah. encourage people to get this book and read it. Like I said, it's 147 pages and another almost 20 pages full of footnotes of, well, he has footnotes throughout. Um, so that tells you how how big the book really is. It's 147 pages, but there's footnotes at the bottom of the page everywhere. So it's really like 110 pages and it's all meat. Um, he tells you where he's getting all of this stuff from and just compare it to the real world. Compare it to real politic. You know, real politic is looking at politics and taking emotion out of it. Because, you know, for as many atheists as there are in libertarianism, they are some emotional motherfuckers, and, you know, and they are some appeal to metaphysical uh, metaphysics <laughs> motherfuckers. This is wrong. This is evil. What? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're, you're making fun of Christians and, you know, you're making fun of religion. So maybe you should shut up. I, this I is know. evil. Define evil. Evil is things I don't consent to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. Evil is like, I, dude. I can get arrested for having weed. That's evil. It, maybe, but still, why? It's a lot less of it. A lot less <laughs> yeah, of why? Yeah, why is it? Um, the book's amazing. I mean, I'm honestly considering doing like podcast series of re- reading each chapter for an episode mm. because I think it just people have to hear this. It is, it's too it's so and i asked this in a, in another group that i'm in 
a group of people who are more dissident, right? And the ones who read it, they're just like, yeah, it's just perfect. It's just, it's exactly what, you know, if people took the time to read it, they'd really understand why, you know, a lot of people like go through libertarianism. Mm-hmm. You know, remember when they were making fun, like I'm doing a series. Well, it's not really a series. It took me two episodes. Um, Hoppe's um, Libertarianism in the Alt-Right. And people were like, libertarianism, is, you know, is the pipeline to the alt-right. Well, when you get into libertarianism and you realize that, like, they have no answer for drag queen story hour, except those public libraries shouldn't exist. <laughs> you know, and all the other just ridiculous things that I used to say, um, you know, oh, oh, uh, war. And the military, taxes, and the IRS. So, so, so many of those arguments they make. Like, there's like one paragraph from Ray Rothbard and Against the Left by Lou Rockwell that like rewrites about um we have to let you we have to let the homeless guys sync up the library or UPS lose everyone's packages. Clearly, no. Like that one paragraph is amongst all the arguments from Rothbard himself, but they want to ignore it because Lou Rockwell wrote it, and it's all this '90s Rothbard who was evil, and it it's. it's they're so full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> this most I mean, of what it's honestly. Well, sure. You know, it's because it's so easy. It doesn't take any thought. Mm-hmm. You get to be right all the time. Quote unquote, you get to be right all the time. Yeah. I told you so. I told you so. I mean, even, and I hate this because Lou, Lou is like one of the biggest influences on me in the world, you know, and he starts out with the left, right in the state, the book that like really bent my mind when I first read it saying a libertarian should never grow tired of saying, I told you so. Well, when kids are, when kids are getting groomed, maybe, you know, saying, I told you so we shouldn't, we shouldn't have public schools. I told you so we shouldn't have had, we shouldn't have libraries. Maybe that's not the time to make that argument. I mean, I don't think most people don't want to hear it. Your echo chamber your echo chamber is going to tell you is going to give you likes and retweets <laughs> and you it, it's going to the dopamine hit's going to be amazing mm-hmm. but your whole your whole culture is being distorted and if you think things are bad now what are they going to look like in 10 or 20 years i think probably a little worse than Weimar Germany it's more along those lines. I, well, it, what's funny is if you start studying Weimar Germany, it's worse now. I mean, it's there, yeah. and you know, of course, because technology allows it to be worse. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just read this book. I mean, it's seriously, it's a short book, but yeah. Nima did AA did amazing job doing this. I mean, this is I'm impressed. I was in DMs with him telling him because I, I, I interviewed him about it. Oh, a few months ago, but I I really scanned. He sent me a PDF, and I scanned it, and I took out highlights. And there was a lot of stuff that I already knew. But um, you know, when you said you wanted to do this, I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to sit down and read it. And I'm going to study it. And I mean, I was just I was blown away. And I got in DMs with them, and I told them, I said, would you mind if I, I'm thinking about reading it on my podcast over a bunch of episodes? And he's like, no, go ahead and do it and everything. So, um, awesome. yeah, I, just read this. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on, what do you what do you have to lose? You're, it's. <laughs> I, I love learning new stuff. You know, it's yeah. like. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Okay. Well, last question. 
if you yeah. could recommend three books to libertarians, if you were trying to get someone out of libertarianism, what would be the three books you'd recommend? Well, I, I'm going to make one of those books a libertarian book. Well, not a libertarian book, but a Hoppian book to keep them. Um, so if they if they really if their identity is really in libertarianism, read Getting Libertarianism Right by Hoppe. Mm. It's four of his speeches. And I've I'm in the process of reading on my show now. Second, <laughs> the second uh, two, two of we already did one which was, um, oh God, I forget. What, I always forget the name of it. A realistic libertarianism, mm -hmm. which destroys the libertarians are neither left nor right garbage. And now we're doing the one on libertarianism and the alt-right. Mm -hmm. um, and so read Hoppe, okay? Um, read this book, The Populist Illusion by Nima Parvini. And um, I would... Read The Enemy of Europe by Francis Parker Yockey. The reason I say read The Enemy of Europe by Francis Parker Yockey is because if, if you tell somebody to start with a new author and you hand them a 600-page book, they're, most of the time they're not going to do it. Yeah. But The Enemy of Europe is 90 pages, I think. There are footnotes galore out of Imperi from Imperium in there. And you will get an idea of what Yaki was trying to communicate. I mean, he and he was American. He was an American. So listen to him. He watched. He watched what was happening in World War II. He watched the United States ally with the commies, and then he was part of the legal team for the Nuremberg trials. And if you read um, Kerry Bolton's intro introduction um to imperium if you get a, a, a version that has that um then you can you'll get a background on yaki and he talks about yaki and and nuremberg and what he saw happening at nuremberg and how nuremberg is much more than a trial where nazis were put on trial it yeah. basically created the culture of politics in the West from then until now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that's something Paul Goffey wrote about in um, Multiculturalism. He wrote about how basically all the ideas of cancer culture and in institutional side of cancer culture originated in uh, post-World War II Germany as practice to get rid of um, Nazi sentiments in the uh, German population. Yeah. It's yeah, a I mean, fantastic they, book. And what they did to German, what they did to the German people after that war was I mean they basically they they tried to exterminate the German people. They made rape of German women legal. You could rape Russians were raping uh, German women in the streets, and it was acceptable. Yeah. Americans were stealing German houses and living in German houses. I mean, these are just sounds very similar citizens. to something happening in the Middle East right now. Oh, gee, I, I wonder who the architects of that was. Hmm. Uh, well, Pete, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, what can people find you at? What are your plugs? Uh, the Pete Quinone Show podcast and my Substack, Pete'sSubstack.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a uh, fantastic episode. Always enjoy talking to you. Thank and you, else, um, uh, If you're listening, um, you know where to find me on Twitter. Make sure you like, share, comment this video. Uh, have a good night. Mm -hmm.